Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Nitya Bar. This is going to be episode 201 of The Informed Catholic. We are in the heart of uh, the fourth week of Advent. So uh, let's begin. Sorry it's a little late, but uh, better late than never. So let's begin in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This uh, entrance antiphon is from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and is combined with chapter 8, verse 10. The Lord, the ruler, will be coming soon, and his name will be called Emmanuel, because he will be God with us. The Lord, the ruler, will be coming soon, and his name will be called Emmanuel, because he will be called God with us. The Lord, the ruler, will be coming soon, and his name will be called Emmanuel, because he will be God with us. Hear in kindness, O Lord, the prayers of your people, that those who rejoice at the coming of your only begotten Son in our flesh may, when at least he comes in glory, Gain the reward of eternal life. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Kyrie Elysion, Kyrie Elysion, Kyrie Elysion, Christe Elysion, Christe Elysion, Christe Elysion, Kyrie Elysion, Kyrie Elysion, Kyrie Elysion. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. The entrance antiphon, the way it's combined, uh, I haven't looked at the verses, but we know this by the scripture passages, how it combines. Uh, like in Mark, the beginning of Mark, how it combines several verses. In a sense, you can say it's sort of like a artistic interpretation, I guess, where legally the, the Holy Spirit obviously gives the um, the prophets a way to combine verses together to to express, I guess you could say, a prophecy to explain a prophecy. And it's something that you will find a lot within Christian literature, especially in the New Testament. Um, this obviously comes through divine inspiration. Um, the combination of two passages from two prophets to mold together, I guess you can say, organically, a sort of verse expressing two different books Two, from two different authors. We see that a lot. All right. Uh, so let's go into um, the first reading. So for this one, for this Tuesday of the fourth week of Advent, we're given two optional readings for the first reading. One is from Song of Songs. And the second one is from Zephaniah. So I'm going to do both. Okay. Uh, 
Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 8 to 14. Hark, my lover comes springing across the mountains. A reading from the Song of Songs. Hark, my lover, here he comes. Springing across the mountains, leaping across the hills. My lover is like a gazelle or a young stag. Here he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the, the lettuces. My lover speaks, he says to me, Arise, my beloved, my dove, my beautiful one, and come. For see, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of pruning the vines has come, the song of the dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth its figs, and the vines and blooms give forth fragrance. Arise, my beloved, my beautiful one, and come. O oh, my dove in the cliffs of the rock, in the secret recesses of the cliff, let me see you, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet, you are lovely. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. This is from Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 8 to 14. So, why does the church give us this? Well, originally from what I heard, uh, this is from the a lot of the rabbis when the Jewish canon in Chamnia was being combined or composed. This is straight into the Christian era. Um, they were questioning whether this should be in their canon because of the, um, um, I guess you can say, the sort of romantic love poem style of it. It was very different from other prophetic writings. And, you know, it gets sort of spicy, I guess you can say, erotic. It is, there is an eroticism about, about it. Hark, my lover, here he comes, springing across the mountains, leaping across the hills. My lover is like a gazelle or a young stag. Here he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lettuces. The lettuces, it refers to, it's a classic term referring to the curtains. Uh, the curtains. My lover speaks. He says to me, arise, my beloved, my dove, my beautiful one, and come. Why, why this? In many ways, they were, um, the church fathers believed that this is a metaphor for Christ and his church, a allegory between Christ and his church, um, a metaphor between, before God and the soul of his people, um, something for the whole church and at the same time one-on-one -on -one with, e with each individual soul. Um, God is the lover and we're the beloved. We're the um, 
it's, it's it, I guess you can say God is Romeo and we're Juliet. The church is Juliet. And you can find this in a lot of some of the saints' writings. The most famous is St. John of the Cross in his writings. He uses this a lot, a lot of this sort of metaphor in his poetry, in his uh, style of writing. Uh, John of the Cross was a Carmelite mystic, um, not a priest and a monk, I guess you could say. He, he uses this metaphor and a lot of saints do a lot of the saints do this kind of they use this kind of style of literature and it's one of the ways the church wants us to look at our relationship with god with a with a divine romantic intimacy a deep personal i mean if you want to talk about it this is basically, you know how Protestants say, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, with God? And the answer is yes. You should answer yes. Problem is, is that when someone, a Catholic has that problem, when they face this kind of question and, you know, sort of you're being put on a spot, is that, you should be able to answer yes. You should have a personal, intimate relationship. The Song of Songs is also used as a way to express um, our relationship in the Eucharist with receiving Jesus Christ in the Holy Communion. There should be this divine intimacy. There should be this longing. There should be this desire that you want to be with God. There should be this desire to, to be with God in prayer. And to receive God in Holy Communion. You should be able to have this kind of relationship. You should think of it as intimate, private. You should be jealous. We all should be. I heard a priest say once, um, we should be selfish about our prayer time. We're all having the selfish time to, for entertainment to um, to to have you know we're all, you know we're, we're constantly distracted with our phones, playing video games. I mean, I have a friend who's constantly obsessed with Pokemon, playing Pokemon on his phone, and it it's very distracting. You can see it, and I think the problem is is that we so want distractions but those distractions are valuable time that you should be able to put into prayer let me read a little bit more here for see the winter is past the rains are over and gone the winter is past the rains are over and gone let me give you an interpretation the winter is the time of penance. You can look at it as a way of the time of wandering in sin. The cold darkness, the long nights, those dreary evenings coming home to work. I hate those that time of the, the year, especially when I'm working late. Coming home when it's cold, when I should be home already 
and think of it as sort of like your your time of penance and sin. And the rains are over and gone. And then, you know, when you have the time of sanctification and grace, the resurrection, the flowers appear in the earth. The time of pruning the vines has come. The song of the dove is heard in our land. The dove is the Holy Spirit. Pruning means sort of producing uh, grace, producing fruit um, of salvation. You see, this is how one way you can turn. Now, it's not the only way to interpret it, but this is one way of, of reading scripture and interpreting it. Um, mine is not the only way. There, there are a number of different other interpretations, but this is how you should look at it. Um, the fig tree puts forth figs. The vine in the blooms give forth fragrance. Remember what Jesus, when he, in the Gospels, when he approached a fig tree that didn't produce fruit? And, he, and, it, and it wasn't a time of figs, but it was a way sort of like the fact that Israel um, did not recognize the time of salvation, did not recognize its Messiah. And because it didn't, it, it, it refused to recognize its Messiah, the fig tree is representative of Israel. And so therefore it missed the opportunity to recognize its Messiah. So it will never bear fruit in the season of salvation. And this is a warning for all of us. We should be able to bear fruit. Now we are in the season of salvation. Um, vines in, in, in bloom and give forth fragrance. Fragrance. Um, we, sh we are like the garden. Sort of like in the, we are flowers in the garden. In the, in, in the new paradise, the new Eden. And we should be giving forth fragrance, a sign of our, of our spiritual lives, of being alive in Christ. That's one way of looking at it. Um, arise, my beloved, my beautiful, my beautiful one, and come. You know, it's, you can picture it as because you're bearing the fruit and you're giving forth the fragrance, you know, like the wedding banquet and we're wearing, we're wearing the proper garment we can enter into the kingdom of our Lord. Oh, and then here, oh, my dove in the cliffs of the rock, in the secret recesses of the cliff, the soul, your prayer life, your spiritual life. Let me see you. This is Christ saying, let me see the grace, the salvation, the, the, the life of the gospel in the soul. Let me see you. Let me see you. Let me hear your voice. Let me hear your prayers. For your voice is sweet and you are lovely. Our prayers to God are sweet and lovely. There. That's one way you could, a metaphor. It's not the only way. It's not the perfect way. But this is how I interpret it. It takes practice when you live that life. And I'm not saying I'm in any way perfect when I just interpret it. It could be corrected by anybody, but I don't think I'm wrong 
but this is how you have this relationship. It takes prayer. It takes a relationship. because It takes a desire. It's good to listen to spiritual things. It's good to hear spiritual books, especially Catholic books, and to listen to Catholic programs, and to listen to pro, to 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 readings and to lectures. It helps. It helps yourself. It helps your prayer life, and it helps also to help you read how to read scripture and interpret scripture. All right, let's move on to the optional reading. Zephaniah, a reading from the book of the prophet Zephaniah. The king of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 14 to 18. Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Sing joyfully, O Israel. Be glad and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has removed the judgment against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You have no further misfortune to fear. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, be not discouraged. The Lord your God is in your midst. O mighty Savior, he will rejoice over you with gladness and renew you in his love. He will sing joyfully because of you, as one sings of festivals. So again, we're going to approach this in metaphor. And um, we have to remember that after the death of Solomon, the kingdom was split in two. One is Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And both wound up committing spiritual infidelity, idolatry, worshiping false gods, and doing horrific things like both fell into human sacrifice, child sacrifice. But in this case, God is saying that the through Zephaniah, that the days are coming to an end of the penance, and Israel is going to have to uh, renew its relationship with God. The Jewish people are going to have to learn to have a relationship with God. And that's what has to be done. It has to, it's, it's renewing the relationship. Here Zephaniah is saying, the Lord has removed the judgment against you. He has turned away your enemies. The foreign enemies are also an expression of sin, of judgment, God's judgment against Israel by bringing foreign enemies. Whenever they, when they have broken their covenant, that relationship, that marriage, God sent uh, a foreign nation like Babylon and Syria against them. And that's a sign of judgment, a sign of that they committed a terrible sin. And, you know, here he's talking about the future. There'll be a new covenant with a new relationship. And eventually that's what's going to happen. Israel will have to learn to have a relationship with God and it, has, it will also have to be reminded about their spiritual infidelity in the past as well. So they will never fall for it again. But this is also kind of like a picture of God, of God and the world. 
and the covenant with God. Because of this, um, the, the, the covenant with God to fix the relationship, the broken relationship they had, in, which was done by their ancestors. That's pretty much one way of looking at it, right? And it's a love, a love-hate relationship sometimes. We see this in Samson. We see this in many others. All right, so let's move on to the next one. Psalm 33, exult you just in the Lord, sing to him a new song. Give thanks to the Lord on the harp. With a ten-string lyre, chant his praises. Sing to him a new song. Pluck the strings skillfully when you shout for gladness. Exult you just in the Lord, sing to him a new song. Put the plan of the Lord, but the plan of the Lord stands forever. The design of his heart through all generations. Bless the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen for his own inheritance. Exult you just in the Lord. Sing to him a new song. Our soul waits for the Lord, who is our help and our shield. For in him our heart rejoices. In his holy name we trust. Exult you just in the Lord. Sing to him a new song. Alleluia, alleluia. O Emmanuel, our King and giver of law, come to save us. Lord our God, alleluia, alleluia. O Emmanuel, our King and giver of law, come to save us. Lord our God, alleluia, alleluia. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 1, verse 39 to 45. And how has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Mary set out in those days and traveled to the hill country in haste to a town of Judah where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leaped in her womb and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud, loud voice and said, Most blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. How does this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For at the moment the sound of your greetings reached my ears, the infinite in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed are you who believed that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. One more time. Mary set out in those days and traveled to the hill country in haste to a town of Judah where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, Most blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how does this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For at the moment the sound of your greeting reached my ears. The infant in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed are, you, blessed are you who believe that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The most famous and the most beloved scene 
and one that we celebrate in the joyful mysteries of the rosary, um, the second of the five joyful mysteries, the visitation. And the it's my mom's favorite passage in Luke. She loves the part where Elizabeth says, how is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And that's, that's very important because that passage is a prefiguration for all Marian apparitions. Think of the apparition of Lourdes, St. Bernadette. Think of Fatima. Think of Guadalupe. Think of, um, of many, many of the, of the apparitions, La Salette, um, many of the, uh, many of the great mysterious apparitions and their meaning. Our, our mother, our blessed mother gets up and goes to the, the hill country of Judea, walks into the house of Zachariah and Elizabeth says a greeting and Elizabeth who was pregnant with John the Baptist suddenly cries out in a loud voice beautifully I mean I think the best one is by Franco Zeffirelli Jesus of Nazareth I think that's the best one and because he does it beautifully and he understand, he understood the art, uh, artistic, he understood what to depict, how to depict it. It's beautiful. And it's the beauty, the, the meaning of it. And it's a prefiguration of all apparitions. Because that's what it is. How is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And even though it was a young Mary, a very young Mary, possibly uh, somewhere between 13 and 15, it was also Mary going to Elizabeth, an old woman, with a lot more obvious experience of life, a lot more understanding of uh, spiritually, Mary needed uh, someone to guide her, to give her the the wisdom, the wisdom she needed, the guidance that she needed, because her whole life was going to change. But here was an older woman also bowing down to a young woman and calling her the mother of her Lord. The mother of her Lord. 
That is important for us. That is very important for us to understand. Elizabeth understood. She more, more, more was revealed to her. And much of it has not been given to us. She understood the revelation that was happening there. And Luke, Luke wrote it beautifully. It may be, it may be that Our Lady didn't give us everything. She probably didn't. What was spoken to her, because we obviously don't know what was spoken in those days as she was with Elizabeth. And we don't know what revelation was given to Elizabeth because it was all under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So not everything that was given to us, what they talked about, what they said, what they discussed, what Elizabeth, how did Elizabeth guide her? We don't, we don't know. We don't know. And probably the best. Probably the best. And I think for all of us, <laughs> um, you know, we can only, I think we read from the few words that was revealed. Obviously when Zechariah kind of, kind of failed the test when he doubted the angel Gabriel, and he was uh, punished with being mute and probably um, maybe deaf. He was un unable to speak because he didn't listen. And so he couldn't, um, uh, he couldn't, you know, he, he, he couldn't speak. And so he had to, uh, when it came to the name, he finally answered, his name shall be John. And he finally was able to speak. <laughs> it's kind of comical. But when you think about it, it was also serious. It was showing him, it was showing what he, his, um, that his faith needed to be strong. But what was revealed to Elizabeth? That's, that's the question there. The angel Gabriel had to have come to her. Elizabeth knew. And Elizabeth believed. She believed. That's the most important thing. She believed. And when Mary came to her, she was able to be like a mentor to her, to guide her, to comfort her, to, to help her figure this out. That was important. And then when John was was born, Mary finally went her went on her way. You know, I love the way they did it in Zephyrelli's uh, Jesus of Nazareth. And then finally when she showed up, course Joseph and like I said in another podcast he didn't I don't think he he never doubted her Joseph never doubted her um, 
her pregnancy. He never, he never believed she committed a sin. This whole thing that we make up that she, she um, that people think she, you know, that Joseph thought she broke her vows. No, it doesn't say that in the text. I, I'm, the text simply says he wanted to put her away quietly without making public disgrace. But he, Matthew never says that he thought she committed adultery. That was never Matthew Matthew's words. She, he believed, and I and with, he believed what she said. He just did not because he can look because we can imagine Joseph knew in his heart she was not capable of of committing sin. She was not that kind of woman. She was too holy, too too much into the presence of God. Too much. She was too much of a holy creature to ever walk into the, uh, to ever walk in sin. She was created too holy. And Joseph knew in his heart she was incapable of that. This is just modern interpreters that usually comes out of Protestant thinking. No. Joseph knew she was incapable of that. She was incapable of guile, of making things up. She was incapable of lying. And she was incapable of committing sin. No. No. And that's, that's something we need to to th to rethink, and the beauty of it is that we already have the image of the first Marian apparition, a prefiguration of the of of the first Marian apparition, with Mary visiting Elizabeth, and how, we can all say, "How is it the mother of my Lord should come to me?" Okay, so. Let's end it here in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.